It's a good song. A redeemed will sing forever. Jesus saves. That's good stuff. Take your Bible tonight and be turning to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2 in the Old Testament. One other thing I'd like to remind you of, and we should have said it this morning, next Sunday night we're going to have a business meeting um, for two things. Well, well, three. We'll vote in the new members since the last business meeting. Um, we're going to present the final financial statement for 2022. Uh, we'll give that to you. And then the budget for 2023 is on the table out there. If you want to get a copy and review it, um, the only thing that's really changed, the departments are pretty much the same. There's some adjustments here and there. A little preview, everything that we do has gone up. Light bill, dumpster, same as at your home, except here multiplied because it's bigger. Um, the summer, the electric bills were staggering. But God blessed us. There was a, in, in all the economic downturn, there was a 7% increase in giving last year. The income went up 7%. So God blessed us to take care of it. We'll be voting on the budget. So if you want to look at it before next Sunday night, um, though we do entertain questions, we will not rewrite the budget in the business meeting. Okay, so if you want to look at it and have questions about it, now's the time to get a copy and go see Miss Lynn and you can ask her and she can tell you all about it, okay? Joshua chapter 2. Last week we began looking at Joshua, a, a great Old Testament saint of God. Uh, and this evening I want to look at the spies that go to Jericho. Joshua sends some men. Now just to review, last week we talked uh, quite a bit about the death of Moses. If you go to Deuteronomy 34, you don't have to turn there now, you find that Moses had served God, he was 120 years old, and he had served God since going back to Egypt and led the people out, you know, the whole, the whole Old Testament account of God's deliverance of Israel. But Moses disobeyed God in one, in, in one instance at Meribah when he was providing water for the people. God said the first time, strike the rock, and the water came out. And then the next time, God said, speak to the rock, and Moses was angry. He was angry with the people. Now, let me just say that I don't hold that against Moses, because if you had to put up with what he put up with among that crowd, you would have been angry too. But he was angry, and because he was angry, he hit the rock again. Well, the rock represented Christ. Jesus was only smitten once for our sins, not twice, and so Moses broke the picture. He broke the type. And God said, because you did that, because you disobeyed me, because you struck the rock a second time, you will not be allowed to go into the promised land. That's, that's pretty heavy. I mean, that's heavy duty because everybody wanted to go into the promised land. So when they get to the end of the 40 years of wandering around and that generation that wouldn't go in the first time died, it's time for them to go in. But Moses can't go, so God calls Moses up on Mount Pisgah and shows him the promised land. Again, that's a whole other thing we could talk about. God takes him up there in his humanity and says, Moses, you can't go in there, but man, this is where Judah's going to be, and this is Benjamin, and this is where, you know, this is where we're all going to be. This is the inheritance. And then Moses died. Now, another interesting point about that from last week is the Bible says that Moses, at 120 years old, his vitality was not diminished and that his vision was good. 
the Bible always has to put that in there because the first thing when you get older, you can't see squat. You can't see anything, right? At home, Haley or Sherry or somebody will go, hey, look at this. And I go, okay, number one, turn on the light. And number two, go get my glasses, okay? So I can, so I can see this thing. Um, it's amazing. God blessed Moses, 120 years old. The vitality of life, his health, and his vi- everything about him was strong. And then God took him. Now, we don't know how that happened. It's always amazing to read it because there's no account other than it just says that Moses died. And God wouldn't even let anybody know where he buried his body. Why do you suppose God did that? It would have been Moses' worship, okay? It would have been some kind of Moses' tomb. And, some, and God said, no, we don't need any of that. So God just buried Moses, and that was that. But I pointed this out last week, and I just want to mention it again before we get to Joshua. Though Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land in his human body, he got there. In the New Testament, Jesus goes up on the mountain for the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that? And Jesus peels back his flesh a little bit, and some of his glory shine through, and Peter and them guys are up there. And two people show up to talk to Jesus, Elijah and Moses. Moses is standing in the promised land, Uh, in better shape than he was when he left, okay? So he's there talking to Jesus. So neat thing about Moses. Well, Moses dies, and now Joshua is the man who succeeds Moses. God picked Joshua. We talked last week. Again, Joshua shadowed Moses everywhere. When Moses went into the tent of meeting, Joshua was standing outside the door. When Moses went to speak with God, Joshua stood just a little ways away. Joshua saw what Moses did. He watched Moses. He watched Moses' relationship with God. And when Moses died... I suspect Joshua felt the pressure. He probably felt alone. His best friend, his mentor, has has now gone to heaven. And now he's alone, and he's to lead this people that he saw be so difficult for Moses. And what a blessing that God didn't leave Joshua without some encouragement. Look back in chapter 1 at verse 7, 7 to 9. It'll come up on the screen here. Listen to this. God said to Joshua, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the left hand or to the the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Now, verse 9. Have have I not commanded you? Listen to what God says to him. Be strong and of good courage. uh, Do not be afraid, nor dismayed. Now listen to this. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. For Joshua, that would have been a good word. That That would have been a good word. Let me real quick, and we're going to look at the spies. He told Joshua to do three things for prosperity, spiritually and in his life. And I can never, we can never think of these three things enough, so I'm going to mention them again tonight. Number one, with regard to God's word, he said, Joshua, here's what you need to do. You need to speak of my word all the time. Talk about it. And what does that mean? Same thing God told Israel. He said, when you get up in the morning, you talk about my word. When you go out in the day, you talk about my word. You write it over the doorpost. You put it on your forehead. You talk about my word. Why is that important? Because when you're talking about God's word, you ain't talking about trash. 
When you're talking about God's word, you're not talking about things you have no business talking about. When you're talking about God's word, you aren't gossiping. When you're talking about God's word, you aren't talking bad about somebody. When you're talking about God's word, you aren't using language. Or, you follow me? Okay. The tongue is the most unruly member of our body, right? It gets out of control in a hurry. And so God said, Joshua, speak of my word. Have conversations about it. Hone in on my word. Number two, he said, meditate on it. What does it mean to meditate? Well, it means use some brain cells. Think about it. Apply it to life. Read it. Understand it. You ever read something in the Bible and you go, I don't know what that means? We've all done that. Why don't we spend some time figuring out what it means? Spend some time praying and say, God, I don't know what this means. Help me figure out what this means. Get some books. Ask somebody. Shoot me an email. I'll tell you what it means. I mean, meditate on it. Think about it. Walk around with it. When you're in your car driving down the road, instead of thinking about football or baseball or golf or something, think about God's word. Think about what you read that morning. Meditate on it. He said to Joshua, speak about it. Meditate on it. And then most importantly, he said, Joshua, don't turn left. Don't turn right. Obey it. Do it. He said it doesn't do us a whole lot of good to talk about it, meditate on it, and we go, yeah, that's nice, but I ain't doing it. No. God said, do it. And what was the result? God said, all your ways will prosper. I'll bless you. I'll take care of you. You'll do it. I would suggest to you, if we do that today, life go a lot easier than walking with the Lord if we do that. Now, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Joshua's in charge now. He knows it. God's encouraged him. He's, he's talking about God's word. He's meditating on it. He's obeying it. Now, Joshua, verse 1, the son of Nun, sent out two men to Shittim to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Now stop right there. He pulls out two guys, and he says, you're going, to be, you're going to be spies, secret agents. I want you to go across the Jordan River, because they're still on the east side, and I want you to spy out the land. And I want you to get the lay of the land. Remember, it's been 40 years since they were there. Joshua went in with the 12 before, but it's been 40 years. He said, I want you to go in there and look around. Take note of where the cities are. Take a note of which city's still there and which one isn't. Take note of the military stuff. And especially, I want you to check out Jericho. Why would he really want to know about Jericho? Because Jericho stood right smack dab in the way of them taking the land. He said, so I need you to check out the land. I need you to check out Jericho. Now, someone might say, well, isn't that a lack of faith on Joshua's part because God already told him he's going to give him the land. That's not a lack of faith. Listen to this very carefully. And some Christians miss this important point. When God calls us to something, he will equip us. Yes. But God expects us to use what he gave us. If God gave us a brain to think with, then think with it. If God gave us a skill or an ability or, 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 or experience or education, then God expects us to employ those things in the ministry that he called us to do. And that's exactly what Joshua's doing. Joshua's saying, listen, I know God's with me, and I know we're going to win, but I need some information. Because God has put me in charge of this great people that are his, and I don't want any more of them to get hurt than is necessary when we go in there. And let me tell you something. If you've never been in the military, and men and women's lives are in your hands and the decisions you make, that's heavy duty. And Joshua's saying, when we go over there, I want to know what I'm getting into. 
I would say here he is, he is wise. And I, and I think God blesses the fact that he's wise. Another thing he says to these two guys, I want you to go secretly. I want you to, just two of you. Why not 12 again? What happened last time there were 12? Chaos, right? You will also notice that when these two come back, they only report to him. They're not standing in front of the whole congregation giving a report. They only report to him. I would say again, Joshua learned from the last time, didn't he? Because Joshua was one of the 12. And 10 of them had no faith. And two of them said, no, we need to go in today. So Joshua said to these guys, what I want you to do is go in there, look around, and when you come back, just talk to me. How does this work in ministry today? Well, let me use illustrations right out of this church. When George and Amy came to me, and George listens to these messages, uh, so he'll, he'll appreciate this. When George came to me, we had lunch, and we played golf, and he said, man, I think God's called me to the mission field. I said, great, man, that's wonderful. You know what? George didn't pack his stuff next Friday and leave. That would have been foolish. You know what George did? He met with people. He sat down and had a plan. He laid it out, used his skills that God gave him. And by the way, George is listening, and he knows this. George is a very organized, administrative person. I mean, man, he, he pays attention to details. And that's perfect. So you know what he did? He laid the way. He laid a plan to go to the mission field. You know what we call that? Make a plan and then work the plan. If God wants the plan changed, he'll change it somewhere along the way. But make a plan and work the plan. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in ministry do you see people just willy-nilly doing things. Never. Never. When this church began, the first service was Easter of 2000. You know when we began working on this church? The summer before. The summer before. There was a lot to do to start a church. Joshua said to these guys, listen, I want you to go over there and do a little reconnaissance and come back and, uh, so I can make some decisions. Now, what did Joshua want to know? I would suspect he wanted to know how many soldiers they got. What's their army look like? How, how fortified is the city? Just take a look around. Do they have weapons? What's their stuff look like? Do they have, do they have guards on the walls? What time do they close the gates at night? Do they open them in the mornings? How many people are on watch when the gates are open? Man, I'd want to know all that stuff. I'd want to know where the army, where's the barracks in relation to the front gate? Do they have reserves? How big is the city? How tall are the walls? Do you see any weaknesses? Do you see any place to be easy to get? Because up to this point, he don't know God's going to knock the walls down. He didn't know he's going to do the whole march around seven times and God's going to make the walls fall down. He's thinking God's going to bless us and I got to get in there. So he's trying to figure that out. Now look at verse 1 again. Now Joshua sent these men. Now look at the last part of the verse. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Here's probably how this went. We don't know a lot of the details. Jordan at that time is generally understood to be swollen from the flood season, the rainy season. So it wouldn't be easy to get across Jordan. That's what the people in Jericho are banking on. They can't get over here. So these two guys somewhere get across Jordan, swim, no motorboats, you know, no bass boats, they got to swim. So they swim across Jordan River. I would suspect, if it were me, if Joshua said, hey, go over there and check out Jericho, I wouldn't walk straight to the front gate from the east. 
know what I'm saying? Because they know, you're going to find out in a minute, they know Israel's camped on the other side of the river. And you're going to find out in a minute, they know all about Israel. I think what I would have done is crossed over the river at night so nobody can see me. I would have walked around the city and come from the west like I was coming from the other way. I suspect that's what these guys did. And the fact is, they get in the city. They go inside the city, and they meet this woman named Rahab. Now, let's talk about her for just a minute, because inquiring minds want to know. Rahab's a harlot. You say, of all the people in the city that these two spies can meet up with and get help, how did it end up being her? How did it end up being a harlot? You want to know the answer? Sovereign design. Sovereign design. Here's what you're going to find out about this woman. She's a believer. Watch this. I don't think there's another believer in the whole city. I think she's the only one. And God brought these guys in contact with the one woman who would save their lives. That's what it is. You're going to find out here in a minute that this woman heard about Israel, heard what God did for them, and she believed that the God of Israel was going to give them the land that the battle's already won. In other words, her faith in God saved her. Now somebody, somebody will say, why is she still a harlot then? Okay, relax. When people get saved, especially in the Old Testament, Sometimes it took them a while to figure out what it is they're supposed to do. She don't have the law. She probably never seen the law of Moses. She hasn't seen the tabernacle. She don't know what a sacrifice is to God. All she knows is their God's the real God, and I believe him. And God counts that for righteousness to people who believe in him, no matter where they're at. Now, what's going to happen with her, you will see later, and we'll get to it here in a minute. She's going to grow in her faith, and she's not going to be a harlot anymore. In fact, she's going to become a Jewish proselyte and marry a dude in Israel. And her lineage is pretty impressive, okay? So sovereign design that God brings these two spies to this woman who will, in essence, save their lives. This woman, Rahab. They lodge with her. Now, the gig is up. It, 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 it comes out that the city's on high alert. Again, they know Israel's over there. They know what Israel did to, to Og and Sahan, and, and they know what happened at the Red Sea 40 years earlier. They know. And so the city's on high alert. And these two men are observed coming into the city, and everybody knows they're strangers. And it was observed that they went to Rahab's house. So they go tell the king. Look at verses 2 to 7. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. I don't know what kind of disguise these guys kind of used, but it didn't work, okay? The, the guy that saw them said, They're definitely Hebrews. They're not from around here. And I'm betting they came from across the river, and we need to find them. So he goes and he tells the king, now verse 3, So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Verse 4, Then the woman 
took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from or, or where they were from. And it happened in verse 5, as the gate was being shut when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid on uh, in order on her roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords. As soon as uh, those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Man, you can make a movie out of this stuff. I mean, this is like, you know, spies. And so these guys are in there and they get discovered. And they're at Rahab's house, the only woman in the whole city who believes in Jehovah God. And she's in there and, and the king immediately sends a detachment to arrest these two spies. Now, what do you think would have happened to them had they gotten captured? Well, they would have been tortured to get information about Israel and what their plans are. And then they would have been killed. And so these guys lives are literally in her hands. I mean, she can turn them in or she can try to protect them. Now, here's another question. By protecting them, what has she done to herself and her family? Put them in great jeopardy. Because if it's discovered that she's harboring these spies, she's going to lose her life and probably her family's lives as well. And so what I'm saying is her faith the fact that she really believed God is on full display, isn't it? I mean, she's, she's acting on what she believes. So these men come to arrest them, and she goes to the door, and she's pretty witty. She's pretty sharp. She goes, well, yeah, they came here. She can't deny it because people saw them go there. And she goes, but how could I know where they're from? In other words, she's playing the, the plausible deniability you know what my profession is, and people come and go here all the time. I don't know where they're from. I don't know. I didn't know where they came from. If you're telling me they're spies, then we got to catch them. Last time I saw them, they were leaving about the time they were closing the gate. So if you hurry, you probably catch up with them. The guys go, thank you very much, ma'am. And they, you know, they go busting out. Why do you think they didn't search her house? God's not going to let them guys get caught. God's not going to let them get caught. Now, she hit them, it says here, up on the roof. She sent them guys on a, on, a, on a rabbit trail chase, and she put them up on the roof. Now, what would happen is they would cut this flax, and they would soak it in water for a couple of weeks, sometimes three, and it would loosen up all the fibers, and they would put it up in the sun on top of the roof, and it would dry, and they would make cloth out of it. And that's what she's doing. So she's got this flax. It's been soaked. It's up on the roof, and I can only imagine she goes, man, we got to hide you guys. Get up on the roof, and I'm going to cover you up with this flax. Now, I suspect if these men who came to arrest them had been diligent in their assignment, they would have went in the house and looked around. But they didn't. They took her word for it. They went out and followed the road all the way to the Jordan River, and they couldn't find these guys. So now, look at verse 8. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. So now we're getting some, some backstory. Before she put them under the flax and hit them, she's talking to them. And she said to the men in verse 9, now notice this, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Man, that's some pretty good information, isn't it? Isn't that exactly what Joshua sent them to find out? Sure it is. Look at verse 10. For we have heard, and that's a key phrase, She's never seen Israel before in her life until these two dudes walk in the city. But she's heard. 
What did she do from what she heard? She believed, didn't she? Watch this. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, now look at this, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Man, that is a powerful testimony from a pagan woman in Jericho who don't know nothing but what she heard. That's incredible, isn't it? I mean, she got saved from what she heard. Now, let me, let's just run down what she said here real quick. Number one, she said, I know the Lord has given you this land. What is she saying in that? These two spies come in and she goes, look, I know God's given this place to you already. You know what she's saying? The battle is as good as over. We're going to resist and you're going to show up and we're going to lose. Because your God is the real God. And I believe in your God. And so she says to them, we're, we're, as, we're as good as done. You know, how, you know how you know if faith is real? It's got action connected to it. It, it has something that moves you. You see, people who tell me they know Jesus and it don't move them, I don't think they know the Jesus I know. I mean, if you know Jesus, it moves you somehow. This woman, this woman is acting on her faith. Secondly, she says, our hearts fainted. The entire inhabitants of Jericho, and I would suspect other parts of Canaan, are demoralized just by hearing what God's done for them. Why are they demoralized? She said, we heard what God did for you drying up the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. How long ago did that happen from here? Forty years. Think about that. They've been wandering around the desert for 40 years, and God finally says, time for you to go in. And she says to the spies, we heard what God did for you 40 years ago, and we're scared to death. We've watched you wandering around out in the desert just wondering when you're going to show up over here, and now you've come and you camped, and we're all afraid. Because we saw what your God did. And if your God can do that, we have no hope. We're done. She said, we also heard what you did to Sion and Og. You remember those guys? Let me refresh your memory. In Numbers 21, you can go home and read it tonight, down around verse 21. As Israel is coming toward the land, God said, okay, it's time for you to go in. And they're making their way to the Jordan. They got to pass to the land of the Amorites. Sihon is the king of the Amorites. So they send, a, they send a messenger to Sihon. Moses does. Moses doesn't want to fight with them. He says, look, we're going to pass through your land on the way to Canaan, and we won't turn to the left or the right. We won't drink your water. We won't eat your food. We won't even kill an ant. We're just going to pass through. Will you let us pass through? Now, if Sihon was smart, he would have said, yeah, I saw what God did to the Egyptians. You guys help yourself. But no, you know what he did? He said, no, you can't pass through my land. And he got his army and he went out there to fight them. You know what happened to Sihon? He ain't here no more. Neither was his army. God, God, turned, God gave Israel victory over them and destroyed them. Then there's another guy, Og. Don't name your son Og, O-G. That's the name. He's the king of Bashan. Same thing. They sent a letter to him. Hey, 
just passing through, man. He gets his army. He comes out. God hands them over to Israel. They destroyed them. The people in Jericho, they're watching that from far. And they go, man, that, that bunch that came out of the desert, they wiped everybody out on the other side of the river, and they're about to come over here. That's why they're afraid. That's why they're, they're, they're demoralized. And that's good information. Now, the only thing that them guys got to do now is get out of Jericho without getting their heads chopped off because they got to take this stuff back to Joshua. Look down at verse 12. Before we do that, let me say one other thing about her personal testimony because I was, I was looking at that this week. I mentioned it a minute ago. Here's, here's this woman, and as best I can tell, the only woman in the entire city who believes God. Because when, the, when Jericho falls, everybody else gets killed. Okay? How is it there's this one woman and nobody else? How is it there's this one woman who heard and said, man, I'm, I'm believe, I believe that God. I believe the God who did all that stuff. I believe him. I'm, I'm not sure that I know a lot about him, but he's sure better than all the pagan stuff we got around here. I believe him. Why didn't somebody else believe? Why didn't somebody else in Jericho? Because listen, we know they all have the same information, right? They all know the same stuff. Why didn't, why didn't other people? Here's what I'm saying. You know, someone might say, well, you know, God knocked the walls down and told Israel to kill everybody in there. That's kind of, that's kind of uh, rough to our sensitivities, especially in the 21st century. But I want you to think about something. Every single person inside that city had the same opportunity she did. Had the same information. Why is it when Jesus comes back and he raptures his church, there are going to be people who go to heaven and there will be people who die and perish without Christ? Same situation, right? We all have the same information, don't we? You can all read it. We all hear the gospel. Does not the Holy Spirit draw us? Does it not convict us? The Bible says man's greatest sin is unbelief. That's our greatest sin. Our refusal to believe. Yes, the Holy Spirit draws us, and yes, nobody can get saved without a draw of the Holy Spirit. But you know what the Bible says the Holy Spirit's job is in the world? Convicting and convincing men and women of sin. I'd say that's what he's doing. This woman said in verse 11, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and the earth below. Okay, verse 12. Here's what she does. She's pretty sharp too. She said, I'm going to make a deal with you guys. I'm going to help you escape. I'm already into this thing up to my neck. I already lied to them guys, sent them away. But you got to promise that when you come here and God gives this city into your hands, that you spare our lives. That you not only spare my life, but you spare the life of my mama, my daddy, my brothers, my sisters, and my whole family, you got to spare their lives. Look at the conversation beginning in verse 12. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. Verse 13. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. She's so sure God's going to give the city over to them. She said, man, we'll die if you guys don't protect us. 
Verse 14, so the men answered, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us a land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Verse 15, then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. Let me explain that real quick and we'll close. You'll appreciate this. Jericho actually had two walls, an inner wall and an outer wall. Most old cities did. And, and because they were so pressed for room, they would, they would put structures across the walls and build houses on top of them. And that's where her house was at, was on the wall where she could jump off, you know, out the wall from a window. That's why she's on the wall. By the way, good thing, because when they come to take the city, they can see it. That's her house. Don't touch that house. And isn't it interesting that when God knocked all the walls down, that piece of the wall didn't fall? Kind of neat, huh? All the wall fell down except the piece that had her house on it. And she's safe and secure. Look what else it said in verse 16. She said to them, here's her recommendation. Get to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned, and after you may go your way. Man, she's smart. She said, look, I sent them guys on that road going to the Jordan, and they're going to be looking for you. So what you need to do is get up in the mountains over there and hang out for about three days. They'll get tired of looking for you and come back, and then you go on your way. All right? So the men said to her, verse 17, now they want to make, they're going to restate the deal and make sure she understands. Notice what they say. We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, unless you bring your father's mother, your brothers, and your father's household into your own home. Now they said to her, look, we made this deal with you, and we're going to honor it. But you have to mark your house, put a scarlet cord outside the window so that when we come around, I can tell everybody in the army through our general, don't touch that house with the scarlet thing hanging out of it. Don't go in there, okay? He said, if you don't hang out the marker, it's on you, okay? But if you're hanging out there, we'll take care of it. Now, verse 19. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your home into the street, his blood shall be on his head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in a house, his blood shall be on our head if a, if a hand is laid on him. Then they said this, be warned. When we show up, the fighting is going to be fierce. Tell everybody that you won't save to stay inside your house. Don't go out. Don't go outside. Just stay in there. No matter what you hear, no matter what's going on, don't go out. Because if you go out of the house, you're outside the safety zone and all the beds are off and their blood's on them because they'll probably get killed. But if they stay in your house, you'll be good. Verse 20. One last thing. If you tell this business of ours, then we'll be free of your oath, which you have made us swear. In other words, if you tell on us, if you tell the king, you turn us in, deal's off. Verse 21. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Verse 22. They departed and went to the mountains and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way but did not find them. Verse 23. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. Man, what a, what a report. What a report. Yeah, man, we went in the city. They noticed us right away. We thought, our, our, we thought we were done. And we met this lady named Rahab. She hit us on the roof. And she believes in God. Man, what a story. What a story. Now look at verse 24. And they said to Joshua, Truly, 
The Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Joshua's, man, I can see Joshua now. Get your stuff, man. We get to get across the river and get to get to work. We get to get to business. Let me close with this. A couple of things. I, every time I study this passage, I am just enamored with this woman's testimony. I, I just look at this thing front to back, sideways. I think about it. I don't have a lot of time left, but think about this. This woman lived in a pagan, even though our society is becoming more pagan, you can't, we can't even comprehend how pagan her society was. We can't comprehend the spiritual darkness that she lived in, idol worship, various gods. She's a, she's a prostitute. Her life was as far from the true and living God as we can even comprehend. And yet our God is so merciful and gracious and kind that he calls to be saved the least of these, does he not? The word that she heard about God touched her heart. It touched her heart because God touched her heart. And she believed in the God of Israel, and she was saved. Now let me just remind you of the rest of her life. We're going to see the walls fall down, and we're going to go through the old familiar story you learned in Sunday school. And God gives the city in her hands, and her, she and her family are saved. They're in the house. The scarlet thread's out there. They're spared. Well, they become, they become Jewish proselytes. And what that means is they're not Jews, but they become part of Israel, and they worship at the, at the tabernacle, and they're following God now. When she moves into Israel, she meets a guy named Salmon. And they fall in love and they get married. So now here's this, follow this now. Here's this Canaanite woman that got saved and now she marries a Jewish man and they have a son. Salmon and Rahab have a son. You know what his name is? Boaz. You ever heard of him? Go to the book of Ruth and here's Boaz. Watch this. Who meets a Moabite widow named Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth fall in love, and they get married. So now we got a Canaanite woman who's married a Jew who has a son named Boaz. He marries Ruth, and they, Ruth and Boaz, have a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named David, King David. Are you getting this? Watch. Jesus was born of the Jews, but he came to save everybody, didn't he? In the lineage of Christ is a Canaanite woman, a Moabite woman, and some other women from wherever they were from. In the lineage of Christ, who is our Savior of the world. That's the best part of the story. That's the best part of the whole thing, that this woman got saved. And God changed her life. And she became part of the lineage of the Savior of the world. That's pretty good stuff. You see in these Old Testament accounts, as we said this morning, the hand of God. And, and who's it all about? Jesus on the road to Emmaus started in the book of Moses and showed him in all the scriptures himself.
That's what we sing tonight. It's Sunday night, and you're all Bible scholars, I know, so you're probably all saved. If, if you're not, would you come to Christ tonight? If you're watching online, if you watch this video, the God who saved this woman, most unlikely of anyone you would think would be saved, the God who saved this woman wants to save us, wants to save you. If you don't know him, would you pray to receive him tonight? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this story about Rahab, Lord, and these spies who went there. And God, how you sovereignly designed this whole thing that they would meet her and that, God, she believed on you and she was the instrument you used to protect them and spare their lives and send them back to give the report to Joshua. And Lord, how you used her as she came to be a proselyte and to, and to be a servant of yours, Lord. And God, she married a man and ended up being in the line of our Savior in human terms. Thank you, Father, for being so marvelous in your grace and your mercy. If there's someone here tonight that's not saved, Lord, may you save them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as Sherry plays for a moment. If I can pray with you or answer any questions, you come on the first verse. get to heaven, I want to sit down with some of these people and talk, don't you? Hey, Rahab, you got about 50 years? Let's sit down. Let's sit down. I mean, you're in eternity. It was 50 years, right? Hey, sit down. Let's, I, want to, I, want to hear, I want to hear your account of what happened. I want to hear what you were thinking. Don't you want to do that? I mean, the spies, don't you want to talk to those guys? Hey, man, did you guys really think you were done, right? Yeah, man, we were afraid. But then Rahab, she, she hit us and took care of us. And, man, God was good to us, and he spared us, and we got back. Don't you want to talk to those people that had all those victories in their lives? We got all eternity to do it. It'll be good. Let's pray for you. Thank you, Father, for tonight, for your word. Bless us this week, God. Uh, we pray, Lord, give us opportunity to share the gospel with those who need to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.